Yeah, my poor little wife. I'll tell you what. <clears throat> we've got three kids. We've got a uh, just turned six. Yesterday was her birthday. We missed it. She went to Roadhouse. We got pictures, and they put. I don't know if y'all have Texas Roadhouse, Roadhouse Steakhouse. Anyway, whenever somebody has a birthday, they pull this little uh, saddle thing out and make the person get on it. And we've gone there because kids eat free on Tuesday, and she's seen this. And so we got a picture. I wish I could throw it up here. She actually is up there with even her arm back and everything. So we missed her birthday yesterday coming up here. But the main thing my wife wanted to do, besides get away from the kids for the first time in over two years with more than one night away from them, uh, was to watch all of the stuff she has DVR'd. Okay? Do y'all have that DVR that's like 100% full at your house? Right? With, I, I don't, I don't have time to watch this stuff, but... Real House of Beverly whatever or uh, some, somebody pump rules and all this kind of things like that. Yeah, so I went ahead and we, wrote, we flew American. I got the DVR. I packed it. I got the HDMI cable. I got the power cord. Don't forget the remote, fresh batteries. Jen, you're going to be able to sit in the hotel room. I'm going to plug this thing up and you're going to be able to watch all of this stuff. It's going to be great. It doesn't work. Plugged it in. I even called Suddenlink. How can I get this thing to turn on? It won't turn on. You're not connected to our node. What's a node? Anyway, so my poor wife now is probably up there trying to find something else to do. But the main thing, I was thinking, okay, 25 bucks to fly this thing up here versus $100 facial, $200 shopping spree, whatever. Now she's finding out. I could see her on the phone last night. There's a mall where? And it's got what? And I'm like, oh, dang it. Now I've got to find something. So this is a lecture beyond the biopsy. Um, let me see which yeah, these pointers work. I'm going to kind of, I don't want to say the word dumb it down for what Dr. Cockrell was talking about. But, you know, they threw a lot of slides up there. And it's like, okay, what, 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 no mitotic, what, where's going on? Let's kind of take it back and see if we can understand some of the basic principles of this. I've done this lecture before. I redid some things. If this is your second, third time, God help you. Uh, but... It's not a bad idea to be able to kind of step back, kind of pull the curtain back on what everybody's talking about and kind of make this a little bit more simple. It's not that complicated, really. Let's see if we can go next. This is me usually at 10 o'clock in the morning after I've had two cups of coffee and I'm trying to go in there and see all my patients, trying to stay ahead. Is everybody kind of, when is the, when is the witching hour for you guys? Mine's like 10 o'clock, I'm trying my best not to, uh, not to get behind and then something happens to me at three. I don't know what happens at three o'clock in the afternoon. I get the biggest cares, a biggest case of the I don't want to's anymore. So I'm back at the coffee, hitting it again. So let's see, dermatology, study of the diseases of the skin based on their appearance, distribution, and this is one is really important, this, this part right here, evolution over time. Patients always wanna to come to you and they say, look, I had this rash, oh, you should've seen it yesterday. They understand that, I understand that, it's okay. Look, if the rash gets worse, if it comes back, please come back, we can biopsy it, we can look at it, we can see what else is going on, but don't just think that coming into me one time, or you one time, I'm gonna be able to exactly tell you what it is. And we never wanna talk bad about our peers and everybody else because the rash I see today that is so obvious you know, Mayaki's the other day might have just been a little folliculitis, you know, it doesn't really always, so we gotta be real careful we don't kind of badmouth each other because these things change. Dermatopathologist, studies it at a microscopic level. That's kind of what Dr. Cocker was talking about here, the four dimensions of a biopsy. There's the depth, how deep it goes, the breadth, how wide it is, the length, how long it went, and the time. Now that's, you know, he kind of hounded on that a lot there. You know, what part in the evolution 
uh, of this disease process is it in? And that's the only thing that we can really do. Okay, so you get your patient, he comes in, and you get your biopsy. This actually turned out to be a basal cell, and I, I was just a little arrogant punk. That's me right here. I just went in and I was like, can you feel this? Can you feel this? And I'm tapping, he's like, no. So I was like, cool. <laughs> so I get my blade and I just go whoop, take off a big piece of it right there. Oh, it bled. Oh, it bled so bad. And I was so stupid. I should have, you know, just going ahead, put the lottie, put the epi, you know, with some epi in there so it kind of stopped. The neat thing about this guy, he had had on his back for 10 years. Whoops, let me go back. He had had on his back for 10 years. Now, I don't know if y'all can see this in this little funny little patchwork thing going all around, okay? Here's what he would do. He would go to Walgreens, I guess, buy boxes of bandages, the biggest ones he could find, lay them out on his bed in a pattern, and then roll around like that. His wife had never seen it before. 10 years had been there. The neat thing about this, it was basal. We sent him for an excision. What I missed on this was the guy's hemoglobin was like seven or eight. It had been slowly bleeding for years and years and years. I wish I would have thought about that. He probably could have, you know, they had the transfusion before the surgery anyway. Anyway, a big basal cell, you send it to your lab, right? The magical lab where you're not supposed to have any kind of food or drinks. They process it. They put it in this little machine, it affixes it, kind of permalizes the, the skin there, measure it. And then when they talk about the block, has everybody heard that? Well, we cut deeper into the block. What is a block? What are they talking about? Well, actually, they get the little piece of skin. They have paraffin or wax. It's hot. And this little silver plate right here is cold. It starts to solidify the paraffin. Then they fill up this block of paraffin, okay? Put it on a big tray of ice so it cools and it turns hard. Now, they get that block and put it through their microtome. Now this is what they're talking about. It's like, well, we're gonna get deeper sections. Basically what they're talking about is this. They're just gonna cut farther through it. They're gonna look deeper into the specimen. Not that complicated. It sounds funny though. It's like, well, I gotta go through the block. What are you talking about going through the block? Well, that's going through the block. Then they put that down in some warm water. It starts dissolving some of the paraffin and they literally can just pick it up like that. Uh, it's really cool to watch them do this. They're, it's, it's, like, it's almost like art, how fast these people do it. I tried to do the microtome one time and it's just, uh, it, it, it's, it's a skill. Put it on the appropriate stainer and then they got to cover slip it. And we've got a little automatic cover slip. They won't let me play with this one because I went in there and started touching it and I was throwing slides all over the place because it kind of makes a little pressure right here. A little perma slip on there and then you have your slides. Okay, that the dermatopathologist, this is Dr. Brad Graham, one of the dermatopathologists I get to work with, um, looking at tissue under the microscope. Doesn't he look smart? So, skin. I know this is like the front part of the book that we never read, right? Everybody just kind of skips those first pages. Eh, let's go to the diseases. What is that big thing, right? My daughter found my book the other day. Oh, Lord. Daddy, daddy. And I'm like, please don't be on the VD section. Please don't be on the VD section. <laughs> It was like a lip, it was chelitis or something. Thank you, that's just, that's just some bad lips, baby. Let's put that book up here. Uh, the skin is composed of three layers. You got the epidermis, the dermis, and the sub-Q, or the paniculus. Epidermis formed from keratinocytes. Dermis produced, uh, made from collagen, produced by fibroblasts. Paniculus is basically lipocytes. The epidermis is composed of three basic types of cells. Okay, and let's talk about the top layer. Keratinocytes, melanocytes, and Langerhans cells. Merkel cells also found around the granular layer. 
They uh, act as on the genitals and the lips and the feet and hands. Act as slow adapting touch receptors. So the epidermis can be divided into four zones. From the outermost to the innermost, you've got the horny layer, granular layer, layer, basal layer. On the palms and soles, there's also another layer called the stratum lucidum. So the thing to kind of remember, the little mnemonic, I don't know, has anybody heard this before? Know it? Yeah, maybe. So Californians, light girls, and string bikinis, okay? So you got the stratum corneum. That's the California, the granular layer. Uh, well, like would be the uh, stratum lucidum, excuse me. So you got the granular layer, the stratum, uh, gr ah, the stratum corneum, granular layer, prickle layer, or the stratum spinosum, and then the uh, basal layer with the stratum lucidum right above the, uh, uh, right above the glenular layer. The interesting thing about a stratum lucidum, if everybody can look at your palms uh, of your hands and maybe see some callus, okay? That's stratum lucidum right here. Now, if you have a patient that comes in with paragonodules with lichen simplex chronicus, you can look at those things and they look just like the callus on your hands. And I like to show my patients that. I'm like, look, you know what? You are creating new skin by doing what you're doing. Every time you scratch it, you're doing just what I do whenever I have to pick up things. You're making callus right here. So whenever you think that something has to come out, I understand, you wanna pick that thing out you're actually making it. That needs to go in. It's just callus in the wrong place. Now patients like that. They're like, wait a second, this is normal skin. It's just like callus. They, they don't understand callus. Yes, I know it itches. My job is to keep you from itching. Your job is not to scratch. We'll get rid of that lichen simplex chronicus, that parigo nodule together. But it's just stratum lucidum. So you got your horny layer, baby. Your horny layer is showing. So that's the first layer, right? That's the stratum corneum. Granular, spinosum, basal layer. Let's go on and see if we can look at some of them. Epidermis is composed of three basic, whoop, already did that one, next, next. Okay, so, stratum corneum. This is what's called an orthokeratotic pattern. Uh, it's basically, you know, like a basket weave, all right? This is the very top part. This is what you see when you look at somebody. Now, right here, this little blue line, that's the granular layer. And right above that would be the stratum lucidum, it's not there. There's the stratum spinosum, and then the basal layer down here. Here's your dermis, more dermis. Now, interestingly enough, I like the way they call this the stratum spinosum. Um, it's, if you look at these cells real closely, it almost looks like you know, they start off kind of elongated with the poles going north and south, and then start spinning a little bit. It helps me remember it when I look at it. So the dermis, composed of two layers. There is the, do we want to fix that? I don't know. That's not mine, whose is this? Oh. I got hijacked. Dermis, composed of two layers. This is a papillary and reticular dermis, uh, delineated by some kind of a little imaginary line called the suprapapillary plexus. The principal component, uh, collagen, 70% of weight of the dry skin. Other components are elastic fibers, extra, extra fibular matrix, this ground substance, which is non-cellular gel-like, composed of glycoproteins, proteoglycans, hyaluronic acid, everybody's heard of hyaluronic acid. Papillary dermis, uppermost layer, and it flows along these reedy ridges. Now, the reedy ridges are kind of important. You'll see why here in a little bit. Epidermal thickenings that extend down towards the dermis, and you've got your reticular dermis, which is most of the dermis, and it's these densely packed, big type one collagen bundles. And then there's the paniculus, these lobules of fat and lipocytes. And I'm not fat, I just have panicular hypertrophy. New way to say that, right? So. Here is your reticular dermis, this kind of light pink right here, pinkish orange. 
and it goes along with these little ridges called the reedy ridges. And this is where the skin cells are all made. This is where the basal layers where the keratinocytes are made and start dividing to go up. Right? And here's this little imaginary line right here, the suprapapillary plexus, you know, where you start going down to these bigger bundles of, uh, 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 of collagen down here. Now, skin cells divide and the basal layer move up, about 28 days travel. As they move, they start to flatten and they turn that spinous layer right there. And so it's called keratinization. Now, problems with that. You can have what's called parakeratosis. We see that on tons of pathology that we get back, right? Parakeratosis, lots of parakeratosis, confluent parakeratosis, checkerboard parakeratosis. All that stuff basically means is that the skin cells are dividing too fast, like they're, they're punching through the granular layer, they're not losing their stuff, they're keeping their nucleus. That's it, okay, no big deal. Hyperkeratosis, thickening of the stratum corneum, you're gonna say, oh, this is a hyperkeratotic lesion. Well, yeah, okay, you're gonna have a very, you know, very tall stratum corneum there. And then you've got acantholysis. Everybody seen that one before? So normally these cells have got desmosomes. They all reach out and they hold hands and play Red Rover, Red Rover, and they go up to the top together, right? Well, if they have acantholysis, they're like that little kid that doesn't really know what to play and they just sit there like this, okay? So whenever you see this is an acantholytic squamous cell, what it's meaning is that, hey, these squamous cell carcinomas, they're not holding on to each other anymore. They're kind of letting go. And they, you, know, you think maybe there's a higher chance to spread because they're really not connected to each other anymore. They're just kind of floating around. So here's hyperkeratosis. Here's your stratum corneum right here. All right. Parakeratosis. I wish the lights were down. We, we tried to get the, somebody to come in here and turn them down. But if you can see this little blue, all these little bitty blue dots, most of this is nucleus, okay? Retained nucleus from the keratinocytes. And up through here, this is some white blood cell, little patches of uh, white blood cells. But there's a confluent parakeratosis right through here. So between the keratinocytes, there's a cement substance in the, uh, called lamellar granules secreted in the granular and horny layer uh, that basically is going to start to cause the uh, stratum corneum to be able to hang on to itself better. It makes this brick and mortar. Everybody's kind of heard of that before. If you can have problems with that, you've got lamellar ichthyosis or ichthyosis vulgaris. This is ichthyosis vulgaris. So, you know, look at the stratum corneum here. It's just this big plate. That's why these things tear and, you know, and it looks like fish scales because it won't bend. It won't flex. It doesn't have that ability to move around anymore. Melanocytes, pigment producing cells of the epidermis. This is so cool though too. They've got a ratio. Dermatopathologists can look at a little skin cell and kind of almost judge what part of the body that that's from based on how many melanocytes to keratinocytes there are down there in the basal layer. Now, darker individuals don't have more melanocytes. They only have larger and bigger melanosomes, what the melanocytes basically produced. Okay, so let's go back here to the basal layer. This is where melanocytes are supposed to stay. All right, you're supposed to stay right down here in this little layer. Now, here's one, all right. It's this kind of uh, extra cytoplasm, clear stuff. And usually there's like a ratio of like uh, one melanocyte to 10 keratinocytes. So you can almost look and go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Eh, maybe there's another one right there. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Eh, maybe there's one right there. And that's really what they do, it's kind of neat. It forms a barrier, this melanin forms a barrier over the nucleus of the keratinocyte and serves as a photoprotective role. If you have vitiligo, 
you don't have melanocytes. If you have albinism, you have melanocytes, but they can't produce the melanosomes, there's an enzyme lacking. Post-inflammatory hyper or hypopigmentation, the melanin is dropped in the wrong place. And I like to explain it to my patients like this. We got people with pityriasis alba every day that come into the clinic. They're like, why is this spot white? When's it gonna come back? And I always try to find a red one, all right? One that's still kind of inflamed. I'm like, look, your melanin in your skin is supposed to be given to the keratinocytes and brought up. If your skin gets mad for whatever reason, usually xerosis, okay? Uh, you know, the melanin is put in the wrong place. If it's dropped down too low, it's not brought up to the top, you don't see it, you have a white spot. If it's all dropped up at one time, you'll have a dark spot. Patients kind of like that explanation. I'm like, okay, it's just the melanin is still there, it's not vitiligo, I'm not Michael Jackson, that's what they always want to know. Is this going to be permanent? No. You know, but it's just in the wrong spot. Let's keep you hydrated really good, you know, skin hydrated really good throughout the uh, winter. So next summer, it all tans nice and evenly. So melanoma is the malignant proliferation of those melanocytes. All right, so kind of this is a little bit of a challenge here, but these big nests right here are all melanoma. So there's a stratum corneum, granular layer, stratum spinosum, basal layer down here. But these big cells right here are all melanoma, and you're able to see, remember that one little cell we saw earlier that kind of had the clear around it? You've got a pagetoid melanoma, which just means it's rising to the top. It's out of place. It's floating to where it's not supposed to be. A lot of dramatic pathologists, when they see that with melanoma, or see that melanocytes that are out of place, they go ahead and call that melanoma. This is another H&E stain right here. This is one from my office where uh, this was a... Uh, just regular H&E, and the physician wasn't able to tell, okay, is this a solar linigo because this particular stain also stains melanosomes, okay, so it's going to stain kind of pigment all through here, or is it actually melanoma in situ? You know, you don't have those big globs of it right here, but there's a new thing. There's a new stain out, this MITF. I don't know if anybody's seen that, microphthalmia transcription factor. But anyway, it's MITF stain that only stains the nucleus of melanomas. So it's going to weed out all of the kind of melanosomes and all of the little background noise, and you get this. So you can clearly see, oh, look, there's melanoma, you know, there's a melanocyte out of place. You know, you're getting these big things, they're moving, they're not behaving like it's supposed to. This is melanoma in situ, just a new little stain. Y'all can look for that on your melanoma uh, in situ biopsies that you see. It's kind of, it's kind of neat. And my, my derm paths now that I work with are telling me they're going back and looking at some of the things that were kind of questionable before. Hey, is this solar linigo? You know, what's going on here? And they're having to recall some of the things. They're like, no, this was definitely with this new stain. This is uh, melanoma in situ. So the epidermis, you've got these Langerhans cells. They originate in bone marrow. Hang on, you know what? I want to talk about one more thing about the uh, melanocytes. Um, I don't know if y'all, if, if, if you kind of can catch how this works. Melanocytes are dendritic cells. Everybody heard that? So they've got little long arms and legs and they stand down in the basal layer and touch as many keratinocytes as they can. And what they do is they make their melanosomes and then these melanosomes literally travel down the arms, okay? And then the keratinocytes sit there and just kind of nibble it. They nibble the melanosomes, okay? And then they take it up and they use the melanin, they use the melanosomes as like a little umbrella. No kidding. 
They hold this little umbrella over their nucleus, so as they travel up to the top, as they travel up in the process of keratinization, it keeps, them, it keeps the DNA from becoming rearranged from ultraviolet radiation. I mean, how totally cool is that? You know, they, they, they actually eat this little pigment and then just kind of protect themselves as they come up to the top. And melanin also serves to be protective of the melanocytes too. But, you know, I just think that's so neat. They just sit there and just touch. That's why you have these high, you know, you can have a ratio of 10 to 1 because you've got these little bitty tentacles that are touching everything. You know, sometimes I never know what's going to come out of my mouth until I just start talking. I, I get up here and I'm like, I wonder what I'm going to say. I don't know. Let's see. Uh, so you've got these Langerhans cells, originating in the bone marrow, serve as immune system gatekeepers. They need hyaluronic acid for maturation and migration, and UV exposure can deplete Langerhans cells. And they're responsible for producing IL-12. How interesting. You get sun, you don't have hyaluronic acid, you don't have the Langerhans cells, you don't have IL-12. Maybe you don't make as much psoriasis. They are little dendritic cells as well. They stand up in the epidermis, made from the bone marrow, and how totally cool is it that you can have uh, a cell made in one site of the body, get into the bloodstream, float around, find its way to the skin, extend its arms, grab antigens, engulf them, float back to the uh, lymph nodes and present those cells to little activated you know, T helper cells. And I, I just think that's just, that's just fantastic. But they can go wrong, right? You can have this Langerhans uh, cells histiocytosis, or what was called histiocytosis X before. Is it a malignancy? Is it just overstimulation? Don't know. Uh, luckily, I haven't seen this before. If I do, I'm probably going to miss it because it can look like sebderm, little papular hemorrhagic sebderm on the scalp in kids. doesn't always have to be in the groin. Uh, but anyway, that can go wrong, and that's what this is right here. And you can see the nuclei of these little guys are kind of this kidney shape, okay? And they have no desmosomes. They're not grabbing on. They're free-floating and going all over the place. So there's some stains. They got the H&E, and that's the usual ones that you'll see. Eosin stains uh, basic structures, collagen's red, doesn't stain elastic tissue. Then you got the IF. I'm glad uh, Dr. Cockrell talked about immunofluorescence there for a second. I've never done IF for lupus. I've never thought to, but I know the books will sometimes say that, but I've never, never needed to do a biopsy for lupus with IF. Um, you can have a direct or indirect. And so the way this works is they get the stains, and they stain the, they, they stain the little pieces of tissue with these, uh, with these antibodies that have a fluorophone or a little fluorescent molecule on it. They stain it with IgG, AG, IgM, C3, fibrin, C, C1Q, and they don't know which one they're going to look at necessarily. They turn the lights off, and uh, that's why there's no picture <laughs> of this. But they turn the lights off, and then they just start looking at the slides, and they see where does it highlight, and then they have to look back and say, okay, this is my IgG, and it highlighted up here. Uh, and so what you're going to see now, since we all know a little bit more about the skin, okay, this will be the basal layer. This is the stratum spinosum. Okay, oh, excuse me, excuse me, uh, granular layer, stratum spinosum. And then here is the basal layer, and this is just a big blister. So a lot of times Dr. Cockrell went kind of through that real fast. He's like, yeah, here's this, this, and it, you know, but that's actually what's going on. So you got blister, and you've got this uh, IgG that's staining right on the roof of the blister, and that lets the people know that, hey, that's bullous pemphigoid. Dermatitis or pediformis. We've heard of this uh, granular IgA. Now, you can see that. It just looks kind of like a, 
you know, grains, little bitty grains of sand right there on top of a blister. So there's the epidermis, you know, the stratum spinosum, stratum corneum will be up here. And right here on this, uh, you, know, you know, in the basal layer, there's that granular IgA. Just kind of neat. Other stains, um, gram stain, looking for bacteria. You can see bacteria in the crust right up here. Or you can see gram positive, this red one down here. You know, a little bitty filamentous bacteria. You can get the PAS stain. PAS is pretty cool for fungus, of course. Um, I don't usually request PAS unless, I mean, I just say, hey, I'm looking for fungus and I just let them do with it whatever they're gonna do, right? And just give it to the answer people. Unless I'm doing a nail clipping, then I don't know why. We always, our path rec always generates PAS requested, but I don't know what else they're do with it besides do a PAS on there. So really cool. It stains the basal layer. All right, so you can really see the basal layer right there. And it stains the uh, little hyphae in the stratum corneum. Hopefully we're not biopsying tinea versicolor too often. That's kind of a no-brainer with the KOH right there. But all right, stratum corneum. Stratum lucidum will be right there. It's kind of like a callus. Granular layer, stratum spinosum, basal layer, dermis. What happens when it goes wrong? We get spongiosis. Right, intracellular edema, leading to the separation of cells, causing the intracellular bridges, or the desmosomes, to appear stretched. Looks like little sponges. Usually indicates some form of external irritation when severe enough leads to crust and vesiculation. This is what it looks like, okay? So you're gonna have some fibrin in the crust right here. Fibrin is just proteins that are leaking out of the blood vessels. And you're going to have this, your stratum spinosum right here. And then you've got this areas right here of edema. It looks like it's been, it's wet. It's got it's, it's a bunch of gaps in there. You've also got some hypergranulosis right here. So this granular layer is really big. So there it is. You can see all these little bitty arms just trying to hold on for dear life. I call that spongiosis right there. Maybe acute, subacute, chronic parakeratosis is more common in chronic. So if they've seen it's been going on for a while, you've given your body a chance for those nuclei to start you know, getting pushed out. You know, it's not just one big blister. This has been going on for a little while. So you know, think about how long it takes for skin cells to divide and get up there. If it's been going on for over 28 days, you might have some re retention of the nuclei up there in the, uh, in the stratum corneum, which just makes sense. Spongiotic vessels, usually not seen in chronic. Exocytosis, you're basically gonna see white blood cells outside of the vessels. Uh, dilated blood vessels equals erythema. I like to tell my patients, because they're like, oh, why is my skin so red? Why is my skin so red? Okay, first off, there's nothing red in the skin. When you can see redness in the skin, it's just dilated blood vessels. Look, it's not red anymore. See that? It's not red anymore. Oh, okay. Because a lot of times they want to put topical steroids on forever. You know, well, it's still red. I'm using my topical steroid. I'm still using, you know, stop it. It's okay. You can just, it's flat. Leave it alone. So, Anything that's red in the skin, basically you're just seeing dilated blood vessels in the, in the upper dermis. You'll have some edema. You may see some white blood cells, eosinophils, mast cells, and atopic dermatitis patients. So here's your parakeratosis again. Damn it, I can't get used to this one. You get the white, excuse me, you get the retention of the, the nuclei up here out of place. You got some fibrin, some protein, you got all the spongiosis, and this is subacute. Lichen simplex chronicus, okay? They have picked, look at this, where's the stratum corneum? They just picked it off. But what I want you to think about, see, look at the reedy ridges now, okay? Look how long they're going. All right, now, imagine you're, uh, you're the skin, 
and you are trying to protect yourself. You're trying to make your barrier, but you can't do it fast enough because it keeps getting picked off. So you start dividing yourselves. You start dividing them as fast as you can, and what ends up happening is that you have to start stretching down here to get the skin cells out fast enough, okay, to try to protect yourself. And that's why you get these long, jagged ridges like this. It's basically the body is just trying to make new keratinocytes so fast, it starts pushing down into the uh, reticular dermis. Papillomatous epithelial proliferations with basaloid appearing cells, the string sign, hyperkeratosis, acanthosis, horn cysts, seborrheic keratosis. This is the bane of my existence. I tell you what, I go to, f I go to four different offices in a week. I'm at one office Monday and Friday, another office on Tuesday, a different office on Wednesday, and a different office on Thursday. I travel. And my outlying clinics are usually my retired crowd, okay? That come in and they want to know, what's this? Oh, well, ma'am, that's a seborrheic keratosis. It's a benign hereditary little wisdom spot that you got. Oh, okay. Well, how about this? That's the same thing. How about this? And you got to go through and pick out every single one. If anybody has got an answer on how to fix that, that I can say, all of these are sub-Ks and it's okay. Let me just do my job and look at you. Mm, please let me know. I really, I'm trying to get a poster that I can just say that while I'm looking at them, it can be there and I can say, it's the poster, it's the poster, it's the poster, it's the poster because I'm so tired of saying the same thing over and over. Anyway, here's a Seb K under the microscope. It even looks like a Seb K, doesn't it? You've got this little horn cyst, you've got the cells. You know, this, this, this is what's called the string sign. You can just almost imagine grabbing that thing and picking it off. And here's one of those other ones that just, uh, it's kind of more flat Seb K. You can see here it's almost inverted. It's like the, the ridges are going this way. You've got these little papillomatosis finger-like projections right here. Psoriasis, hyperkeratosis, so that top layer is going to be real tall. Parakeratosis, the skin cells are dividing fast. They're not being able to lose their nuclei, so the nuclei are going to be retained out there in the stratum corneum. Neutrophils, white blood cells in the epidermis. Thinning of the epidermis over the dermal papillae. All right? So it's getting so stretched out that it's actually becoming thin. That little stratum spinosum at the top of the reedy ridges is becoming thin. Now, if you scratch it, guess what happens? It bleeds, right? You get the Auschwitz sign because the thinning of the epidermis right here. Vessels close to the dermis, elongated club-like reedy ridges. So imagine the lichen simplex chronicus that we saw where those skin cells are trying so hard to divide real quickly and psoriasis is going to the extreme and the base of those little reedy, reedy ridges are, is actually getting swelled out. It's hitting that dermis, it can't go down any farther and now it's starting to swell out, okay? So look. Reedy ridges, big club shaped. They're, they're just trying their best to get out as much skin, as much you know, epidermis as they possibly can. You've got this confluent parakeratosis all through here. So that's psoriasis. Like in planus, we see this one all the time. You get irregular acanthosis. Remember the cells are letting go, but it's not uniform. Focal hypergranulosis, the wedge-shaped base upward, uh, which is the Wickham stria, the little white lacy things that we see with uh, lichen planus. All that is is focal hypergranulosis, how cool. You get a sawtooth appearance of the reedy ridges, you get these colloid bodies, which is basically just some dead cells, and you get destruction of a basal layer. So here's the hypergranulosis, and this is the Wickham stria right on top of it, okay? You get these reedy ridges that are kind of sawtooth, 
Whenever I think of sawtooth, I always think of a flutter from school. You get this uh, dead necrotic cells over here. Anyway, lichen planus, pretty cool. Leukocytoclastic vasculitis. This one's just, uh, I just really wanted to show some blood vessels and be able to kind of see what blood vessels look like around here. But you get vascular, perivascular leukocytes. So you get inflammation around the blood vessels. It's breaking apart some of the white blood cells so you get this nuclear dust. You get extravasation of the erythrocytes where the red blood cells are getting outside of where they're supposed to be. So, all right, stratum corneum, granular layer. Stratum spinosum, basal layer, and then all these round things right here inside. These are little blood vessels. All right. Now remember that Henox, that HSP picture he put, he put up, and you really couldn't see anything except some yellow around. Well, you know what that was. It was this was it was basically this look, you know, kind of appearance. But you know you had all that C1 in here. You had all that uh, uh, you know inflammation, and the fluorophones were, were attached to the walls there. So blood vessels and everybody could look at that and think, my gosh, this looks mad. You got inflammation around the blood vessels. Basaloid cells with long dark elytic nuclei, cells demonstrate a palisading arrangement. Palisading, you try to Google that word, you can't get it. It actually, just think about a palace, think about a wall, think about uh, a protective layer. You get the uh, cells lie in group or nests. There's uh, surrounded by this fibromucinous stroma. You get some white blood cells and solar elastosis around there. So stratum corneum, Granular layer, no basal layer here, no reedy ridges. All right, what happened to all that stuff? When we get old and we get a ton of skin, uh, a ton of sun damage, all that just kind of goes away. It's just, you know, you think about those little old ladies, little old men with the skin that just looks like you just kind of scratch it and just wants to fall apart. You don't have any collagen, there's no reedy ridges, there's no, it's just not a sound structure anymore. But then you get little basal cells. This is that stromal retraction. You ever do the biopsy, and maybe you get your CTA, you look, you know, you're going to put some, uh, some dry sol on there to try to stop it from bleeding, and it looks like the stuff just wants to flake out. Y'all done that before? And maybe you just go ahead and get your curette and just kind of get rid of it. Well, what's going on? You're having all this stromal retraction. These basal cells are kind of saying, oh, we're going to be inclusive. We're going to stay right here. Except, how about the micronodular one? All right, so instead of being one big glob, it's a bunch of little globs spacing out right there. And this is why these are more difficult to curette, more difficult to excise, more difficult to get rid of. Little bitty, you know, groups. It's nodules and they're micro. You know, go figure. I've had two. Two. I hate it. I hate it. I've had two basal cells that I've seen indeed come back. That's it. I feel like, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. All right. Both of them micronodular. You know, and I didn't know it. it was at the time. I was like, yeah, hey, I did a biopsy, and yeah, this is tiny, I'll just get rid of it. You know, a year, two years later, whatever, there it's back, and I go back and look at the path, and oh, it was micronodular dog. So, not the best things to see in D right here, but you know, gotta be careful. AKs, atypical cells, epidermis large, polymorphic, dark nuclei, variable in size, means pleomorphic. You get these dyskeratotic cells, dark, eosinophilic rounded cells with small dark consist nuclei. You get parakeratosis again. Derma shows solar elastosis, okay. That's that real, and I'll show you on this, this next one. Mild inflammation, so there's some, uh, there's some white blood cells involved there. I like this slide. Check it out, you got normal, 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 bang, all right? Just like when you're going, you're feeling your patients, you're touching their arms, you're touching their, you know, you're touching their face, and you feel normal, normal, and all of a sudden you get that really hard little bit of keratin, you're feeling that hyperkeratosis. There's parakeratosis, so these cells are dividing real fast, so it's pushing out, it's making a little lesion. 
you get the, oh, this solar elastosis. Now, I want you to think about um, the uh, dermis that we've seen before. It's been kind of pink. When you're going to see solar elastosis, the dermis all of a sudden doesn't really stain good anymore, and it starts staining blue. There's a little hair follicle right here. So you zoom in. Okay. So you've got your stratum corneum, not much of a granular layer, basal layers kind of going bad. Now look at this. This looks pretty normal down here. You've got maturation of the keratinocytes. They're spinning, okay? And as they come up to the top, they're losing their, uh, their, their cellular structure and they're becoming up here. Now in squamous cell carcinoma in situ, look at the difference here. It's just kind of like really, it's just more of the same, but it's more confluent. These abnormal little cells, these keratinocytes down here from the basal cells don't really look the same. They're not maturing. They're not flattening out like they would. And it's, it's all the way through. So they say, hey, instead of just a pre-cancer, we're gonna go ahead and call this a skin cancer. It's just that little bit of subtle change, okay? No magic, it's just, well, how aggressive or how, how confluent are these little abnormal keratinocytes? Now, then you get to squamous cell carcinoma, and it just looks like a big blob. You know? It's just a big mess. Now we do a biopsy on the, on the uh, SECs, and you, know, you see those little bitty horns, you see the little bitty balls in there? You ever seen that? We have like little bitty beads, and what you're seeing there are these little pseudocysts right here, and keratin pearls in that. And you can also have some acantholysis where basically the squamous cell carcinoma is pulling into itself, which makes us think, hey, this might be a little bit more aggressive. Here it is on high power. Okay, really good example of solar elastosis here. So look, reedy ridges are just about gone. Again, this is your little old person, uh, or really sun damaged person, uh, where the collagen is just getting wiped out. The ultraviolet light is just destroying the hyaluronic acid. It can't, your body's just not making fibroblasts anymore. It's not, uh, it's not producing the right collagen, but you can see all these little bitty blood vessels through here. So you've got lots of telangiectasia. So this is just, imagine an old person biopsy right here with, with tons of sun damage and little bitty red blood vessels. That's what this would be. This is a fun one, okay? So people that come in, and they've got this little bitty signs right here. Maybe they don't look like the typical rosacea patient. You know, they don't have lots of telangiectasias. They don't have any rhinophyma. They just got some bumps. Do you ever get a 15 and just scrape one of those? And you see that little guy? Little wormy looking thing right here. Does anybody see that under the microscope? It's really fun. This is actually, I got my cell phone and I've got the ability now I can get my cell phone and hold it with my elbows and I can you know, hold it just right and take a picture and I'll take it back in and I'll show the patient. I'm like, well, you know, Miss Bradley or whoever, um, this is what's in your skin. <laughs> and they're like, oh my God, what is that? It's okay, we're gonna get rid of it. This is a little normal demodex, and what happens is whenever it dies, it necroses or die, you know, it starts to uh, degenerate in your skin, it gets necrotic, and your body responds to it by making these little bumps. But we can get rid of it. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Gotti. Thank you so much. It's okay. We can do this together. But it's normal. Uh, lives in the sebaceous glands, increases with age. Uh, as the demodex decays, it causes an irritation. You can treat it with like regular rosacea stuff. Um, what's really fun is to give them this Crotromitin or the Urax cream. They can put it on there for a couple of days. Might make a little bit more red to start off with, but they get some anti-itch properties out of that. Uh, you can do antibiotics, the sodium sulfur-cetamides preparations. Um, I even had one lady that had it just in the eyes. I was like, yeah, let's just try some ivermectin. You know, gave her some ivermectin, went away. I was like, oh, that's cool. That's fun. 
All right, everybody knows this one, right? This is one of my favorite things to see in the clinic because people are miserable and you can make them happy in a week or so. People come in scratching. You really got to look close, you know, get really with the skin. And I love, for whatever reason, I have the best success right here on the uh, medial, you know, palm, wrist area, and also between the finger webs. And what you'll see, everybody knows what this is, right? I mean, it's kind of obvious, please, if you don't know what this is. All right, so, my, uh, my, my, one, of my, one of my bosses was like, okay, uh, you gotta scrape everywhere. Just scrape them, scrape them, scrape them, scrape them, scrape them, because they're hard to find. I found out, if you look hard enough, I wish the lights were down here so you could see a little better, but there's this little bitty thing right here. And if you zoom in even more, right on this one spot, there's gonna be a little black dot. I'm serious, if you just look close enough, you'll see the little Christmas tree-like thing, and then there'll be a gap and a little black dot. Just get your 15, put it right there. Now, we do mineral oil, right? You don't have to do mineral oil. Mineral oil dissolves the poop, the scabala. If you've got KOH, whatever you grab, you can get a drop of water and put it on there. It really doesn't matter, okay? All you're trying to do is just cause a little bit of better light refraction through the, through the microscope, and you'll see this. So we've got the nice egg right here. And this one's just about to hatch. You can even see like some of the little segments of the body. And you've got a little poop right up here. You've got some uh, air bubbles down here. Move the slide over and there's the big mama right there. So again, here's me with my cell phone. Mrs. Bradley, I like Mrs. Bradley. You've got this, <laughs> but we can fix it. It's okay, what is it? It's called scabies. Why do I have it? I'm not dirty. I take a bath all the time. It's okay. This isn't from dirt. They're little parasites. You just held hands with somebody too long. That's the best. Oh, gosh, last week I had a kid come in. I knew I've had the same thing happen. He was 17 years old, and his mom's sitting back there in the back in the corner. And uh, he's like, oh, oh, I just itch, I itch. And he's scratching his groin. He's like, it started here, and now it's all over here. I'm like, okay, let's scrape you. And his mom like, you know, is this an STD? And I'm like, well, okay, maybe. Where did it come from? So, you know, everybody knows how to treat. I, I just do, uh, you can do ivermectin, you know, 0.2 mg per kg, and, you know, repeat that in a week. Or you can do the uh, uh, elamite 5%, um, repeat that in a week. You know, you've got to do something twice, though, because whatever you're doing is only going to kill the live bug. So you have to make sure. And I'll have people all the time come in. They, their PCP has seen them. They've already been treated, and it came back. You just, you got to treat twice. Herpes virus, multinucleated giant cells, epithelial cells containing eosinophilic intranuclear inclusion bodies. Okay, now, this is a little shave biopsy here of a herpes virus. This is the blister. Look at this stuff. It's just necrosis. It's just dead skin. There's even a little hair follicle that's getting killed off right here from all this inflammation going on from the virus. And if you zoom in, you can see some of the multinucleated cells here. And that's even an old one. That's even a dead uh, little giant multinucleated cell right here. Really cool. The dermatopathologist can even see maybe if you get, you know, you're not get the freshest blister. It's even possible for them to be able to tell you what the diagnosis is just because there'll be some of the dead cells left over right there. And you can really see it right here. You see all these nuclei in this dead cell. Okay, this one's dead. This is what you're really kind of focusing on. So you get your patient that comes in. Does everybody do zinc? Really? Anybody? 
it's just the second lecture of the day. We can raise hands already. We're friends. Right? No, just a few people. Okay, it's easy. All right? I don't know if y'all have the ability. We have a little dish, a little cup with toluene blue. You get a 15 blade, and it does hurt them, but you scrape the bottom. It's not going to hurt any more than doing a biopsy. You scrape it, wipe the crud on a slide, don't get it on yourself. And we get it in, and I took a video of this, but the video was ridiculous. It's just this, and I was like, okay, I'm not going to show that. So you just get it in this toluene blue. You put it about five or six times, okay? Make sure you're by your sink because the stuff gets everywhere. Turn it upside down, okay? Don't wash the stuff off. Turn your slide over so your, you know, your, your, your junk is on the bottom. Just rinse your slide off, okay? Um, but you know, you'll see the water will kind of bend around and it's just real gentle on that side. Get you a drop of mineral oil, put the you know, slide on there and go look at it. And this is, again, this is my little cell phone taking this picture right here. I just zoomed it in so you don't see the circle. But you'll have these giant multinucleated cells right here. Not the easiest thing in the world to interpret, but after you do it several times, you know, you'd be able to kind of see it. it it's, it's, not as, it's not as easy as a KOH or a scabies prep, I'll say, but um, it's possible and it's kind of fun to do. Because then you can go back and you can say, you've got this. All right, KOH. Everybody does KOH though, right? Potassium hydroxide, yes, thank you. Now we actually have a dermatologist in our, in our town that doesn't even have a microscope. Blows me away. So a patient went over there, she, it came to me, and uh, she did a biopsy. She did a biopsy of this. I'm like, really? She goes, yeah, she said she didn't have a microscope. She's gonna have to send out to see if this is fungus or not. I'm like, golly, that's just, that's unfortunate. You know, much more expensive, and you get cut, you got a scar. So my little KOH pearls, and we just had two new uh, PAs join our practice, and this is pretty much what I told them. I'm like, look, scrape everything. You'll find it when you don't expect it. I've thought I was scraping fungus and found scabies before, okay? You can bill for it, you know, not that that's our big motivator. We really just want patients to get better. But patients also feel like something was done. He really looked at my, he even took a scraping and looked at it into the microscope, okay? You look like you're smart, all right? Just remember Dr. Graham, when he was looking at that stuff under the microscope, he looks like a genius. And nobody typically bothers me while I'm sitting at the microscope, you have to understand, I, I'm in a huge practice with a bunch of people, and there's nurses all over the place, but when I'm sitting there, nobody's talking to me. It's almost like a little momentary episode of silence and solitude there for a second. And I like, I'll sit there too long sometimes, you know, just look and look, oh yeah, it's positive, I'm just gonna keep looking at it. It buys you time when you don't know what you're doing. That's probably one of my favorite things. You got a rash, you're like, man, I don't know what this thing is. You know, maybe it's like this big EAC coming all the way over this guy's body. It's okay, just take a little scrape, go, yeah, I'm gonna just let that incubate for a minute right here under the KOH. Go back in your office and get your book. It's okay, it's okay to do that. Don't tell yourself it's not. Nobody knows everything. Alopecia areata, everybody sees that. You get this peribulbar lymphocytic infiltrate, the swarm of bees, all right? Has anybody seen the swarm of bees? I've got a picture of it, that's really pretty cool. Pigment incontinence, incontinence, in the hair bulb, in the follicular stella. Stella, think star, star, think falling star, think uh, a remnant of where the hair used to be, okay? Because the inflammation is basically just dissolving the hair follicle. Occasionally, there's no inflammation, makes it more difficult. You can also have a change in the terminal and vellus hairs right there. So, here's our little falling star, okay? The stella, follicular stella. 
There's this swarm of bees pattern right here. All right, anybody guess what this is? The pigment incontinence, okay? This pigment is not in melanocytes, it's not in melanosomes, it's just spilled out. Hence the word incontinence, okay? Um, interestingly enough, alopecia areata typically only goes after pigmented cells. So, you know, a lot of times it'll come back white or you can see people and you're like, man, I still see some uh, exclamation point here's right here, but your gray, your salt and pepper is not getting it affected. Well, it's typically because alopecia areata only goes after the melanocytes, the, the melanosomes, the stem cells down there and causes this pigment incontinence uh, at the base of the hair follicle. Really kind of neat. So whenever you see it, if you think it's still active, don't just go by the, hey, there's white, there's white hairs there and so it must be okay, all right? Warts, okay, let me give y'all the best thing that y'all are gonna get this whole conference, maybe not, but you can cauterize them. Now I'm coining that term today, okay? Can't cauterize it, you cauterize it. All right, here's what you do. And it's gotta be on just a small one, okay? Because I hate warts, you have to understand. Warts are just the, ooh, I mean, I've done everything. Burn, freeze, cut, laser, inject, 5-FU, bleomycin, make you allergic to stuff, put that on there, see if I can't make an allergy, put strong acids, put strong chemicals, apple cider vinegar, vinegar, why not? Okay, pee on a potato, bury it in the backyard on a full moon, maybe it'll go away. There was a guy in my town actually that would pray them off. And I even had a patient that went to Dallas and had hypnosis and the warts went away. Great, I'm happy they did. Okay, so if it's small, all right, uh, let's say, I mean, I've done them five millimeters, six millimeters, but you know, you wanna be able to get your three or four millimeter curette around it pretty good. All right, so make it cold. You don't have to make it as cold as if you were gonna freeze it. Now, the idea with making it cold, right, is not that that's gonna kill the virus. It doesn't kill the virus. The idea is that it's gonna make a blister and separate the virus from the normal skin, which doesn't happen because people go home, it hurts, and they don't wanna mess with it, right? So then they come back a couple of weeks later and they got that fairy ring of wart, the donut thing, where the wart basically just fell over here, all right? So while it's cold, guess what? It's also numb. Just like if you put an ice cube to your ear before you pierce it, like I did when I was in ninth grade and looked like an idiot with a stud for a day. So, that was me in ninth grade. Um, so, make it cold, get your curette, and if you just lightly pull, now be real careful, uh, you know, you're not trying to dig, but you can get your curette and grab a hold of the thing and literally start pulling, and the whole thing will come out in this one nice, neat little ball, all right? Uh, now, the bad thing is, warts like to bleed, so once it wakes up and the numbness goes off and you're holding your, you know, your dry saw on there, the kids go, ah, but maybe one, two tears. But then again, it's over. They don't have to worry about the blister. They don't have to worry about pulling it off. And I've had better success doing that than I have with anything else. Okay. And I've, I'm just like, you've tried just about everything. Anyway. Um, if that doesn't work, then I send them in a prescription of 80% salicylic acid and tween 80 and tell them put it on every day as tolerated and try to make it mad. This is what warts look like under the microscope. You can kind of see it. You know, you get these little finger-like projections. You get hyperkeratosis up here, hypergranulosis. Everybody knows what all these terms are now. Some uh, granular layer. You're having some what are called coilocytes. We're basically just dying right here. NLD. 80% have diabetes, the other 20% are probably gonna get diabetes, right? 
Right? You get thickening of the blood. This is a microvascular disease of diabetes. If you think about it, you can have the problems in the eyes, you can have problems in the kidneys. This is one of those microvascular diseases uh, where you're gonna have problems with the skin. <clears throat> where you get glycosylation or too much sugar little molecules around some of the blood vessels and it you know, clogs them off. Thickening of the blood vessel walls, endothelial cell swelling, interstitial palisaded granulomas, uh, and these granulomas are just made of histiocytes. So, stratum corneum, you get it all down here and you get these big granulomas and all this little blue stuff is all lymphocytes and infl inflammatory cells right here. Basically it's just destruction, it's just smudge Okay, this, is a, this was actually a blood vessel right here that are just getting choked off. All right, now, when we started it, could anybody maybe go through it all? All right, now we're gonna see, post-test. All right, Californians like girls in string bikinis, all right? Stratum corneum. What would be here? Stratum lucidum, right? which we can tell patients, yes, it's normal. I know you're picking yourself, you're making the stratum lucidum. Quit picking it, your body will reabsorb it, it'll go away. Or I can put a little triamcinolone in there, it goes away a lot faster. All right, granular layer, stratum spinosum, the cells come up and kind of spin. This is where the keratinization process happens. Basal layer, reedy ridges, papillary dermis, reticular dermis, red blood cells, ta-da. Yay, okay, that's it, all I have. Any questions from anybody? This really isn't a question, um, but when I used to do internal medicine, I did it for four years before I went into derm, and I used to scrape everything, and my doctor, they, they didn't scrape anything. And so I would be in my office, and the doc would come in and say, hurry up, hurry up, I've got an SO. I'm like, what's SO? He goes, a scraping opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it really is. I tell you, I mean, I have been pleasantly surprised that if it's even slightly scaly and I just go ahead and take a shot at it and you get way more than you uh, would expect. I hated to follow Dr. Cockrell. He's an amazing guy, but uh, um, I don't know. I'll enjoy the rest of the conference with you guys in the back.